0: Let's go right into prayer. Just want to go into prayer and get into the message. So, if you bow your heads with me, please, God. I just pray, Lord, right now. You are so good to us, and you're so good to me personally, Lord. And I just thank you for the gift and the blessing of this building. And Lord, I just declare with all these people here, we bless every single person in this building who works here. We bless the pastor and his wife, Chris and Cherie God, we pray for great increase on the church that meets here Sunday mornings, Lord. I pray that their, their congregation would overflow, their income would overflow, Lord. There'd be increase like they've never seen before, God. I just pray, pray every blessing on them for their generosity, for their graciousness, God, for what you're doing in their lives. Let us be good stewards. Let us be partners with them, Father. And I just thank you for every person here, Lord. I thank you, God, that 2019 is going to be a great year. And you're doing incredible things in our lives, personally in Saturday Night Supper Club. God, I just pray a blessing on them that that they would never hope, dream, or imagine, God, that you would do such an incredible thing. Or we just look forward to what you have to bring for us, God, this year. Amen. Um, You know, <laughs> we're in a new building. It's a new year. And so I'm like, well, I should really be preaching some kind of powerful, like, motivational sermon taking us into the new year, right? And so I I prayed, and I was like, what can I preach about? And should it be like identity or, you know, resolutions? Anyone here make any resolutions? We're all too old for that, aren't we? That's just nonsense, isn't it? We did find a really good Facebook post. What was that, Chris? Let's say the clean version. What was it? Remember your cousin posted? The clean version? version. Oh, great. It's 2019. It's the new year, the new me, bullcrap. (laughs) Only Not bullcrap. Yeah. We're all too old for, to be tricked into that anymore, right? Um, and so, you know, I'm like, I, I kept praying about it. I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? And I kept thinking about um, the wise men, actually, Epiphany. Notice they all have um, decorations up because, really, in the Christian church calendar, Christmas isn't over until Epiphany, which is tomorrow, January 6th, right? And um, in fact, that's where the 12 days of Christmas come from is, you know, we like to start Christmas on Thanksgiving Day, right? (laughs) And have the, the, between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day is kind of the American Christmas season. I know people who take their Christmas tree, mine's still up, take their Christmas tree down on Christmas Day. I'm like, how can you even do that? But I know people that do that. But on the church calendar, it starts Christmas Day, and then the 12 days of Christmas go until January 6th, which is tomorrow. So I'm going to talk about Epiphany. I'm going to talk about, did you not know that? Isn't that interesting? A little bit of trivia. Um, I'm going to talk about the three kings, the three wise men, whatever you want to call them. Interesting little introductory story. Um, How many of you sent your kids to a a public school? Okay, my kids all went to public school. And, um, you know, I was fine with public school. They were really, they got a really good education. We're in Douglas County, blah, blah, blah. But the one thing that public school tends to shy away from, or let me just say, the ones that my kids went to, there is a pressure to not give preference to different religious traditions. Can we say that? Um, And so it's not called Christmas break anymore, it's called winter break, right? Because there's so many different religious traditions that happen during these holidays. Um, and so I remember when Christian was little, I think it was Christian or Emma, I can't remember, like, it's all blurred together, but I, but I do know this is a real story, but I can't remember which kid, okay? <laughs> um, so it was second grade, and you know how they send home all the, like, little curriculums or little color sheets and stuff they're working on, and so for, like, a month, whatever child, Christian or Emma, I know it wasn't David, Christian or Emma, they bring home these things on, like, the dreidel and Hanukkah and just, like, a month of the Jewish tradition of whatever was going on. And I'm like, okay. And then it kind of ended. They went into winter break, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Why is there no Christmas being taught in here at all? know, if you're going to teach Hanukkah, let's give equal time. And so I called up the teacher, and she's so sweet. She's like, well, I said, what's going on? You know me, I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll go ask straight up why you're not doing this, you know. And so I talked to her, and she's like, well, you know it's we're not trying to favor one or the other would you have to be so careful you could tell it's just this they're so afraid that they're going to get sued for some kind of not separation of church and state or whatever and and she goes if you want to come in and teach something you can I'm like oh I will you know so it was past Christmas right and I'm like well I can't really teach on Christmas because it's already January but it was we hadn't hit epiphany So they had just started back to school, and so I dug out my wise men from my nativity scene, and I packed it in a little box, and I think I printed out some kind of color sheet or something, and I brought it to that second grade classroom, and doggone it, I taught on the Three Kings. I taught about the wise men, going to see baby Jesus, following a star. I mean, I did the whole thing, and the kids were like, oh, that's so cool, you know, and they they thought it was a great story. But um, that was my little, you know, socket to the man kind of rebellion for when my kids were in school. But what we're going to talk about tonight is the real story of um, Epiphany. The other names of Epiphany are Three Kings Day. That's celebrated by a lot of people. Um, Twelfth Day, Theophany, and Little Christmas. Most people that celebrate Epiphany are either Catholic, Orthodox, or some kind of high liturgical church, like Anglican or something like that. Um, and that's they because they keep church... The, keep the church calendar, and the thing that I think is really cool, you guys. I don't look at tradition as authority, but I do look at tradition as a way to connect us to what's gone behind us, because there's still meaning and there's still a lot of wisdom in the in the saints that have gone before. So we don't throw out the the baby with the bathwater, but that's not necessarily our authority. Tradition's not our authority, but it's something that we can still really enjoy, and I enjoy. Um, the church calendar. I enjoy Lent and Easter and all Advent and all the different seasons of the church calendar. And we're still in the Christmas season, believe it or not. We're, epiphany is tomorrow. Um, in, in the Greek, epiphany means appearance or manifestation. In the Eastern, um, like in Eastern Christianity, they actually celebrate the baptism of John the Baptist on Epiphany. And in the Western um, Christianity, like Catholicism and everything like that, the the um, wise men represent the revelation of God to the Gentile world. Because see, now Jesus was born, but it the wise men were not; they were not Israelites. They weren't anybody even sacred. They were completely and thoroughly pagan. And so when it There's this correlation between when Jesus was revealed at his baptism, presented to the world, that's Eastern Christianity, and the Western Christianity is, look, Jesus being presented to the Gentile world. Isn't that cool, Bob? I love it. I love it so much. So I was like, what am I going to name this? And I decided I was going to name it. I didn't even put it on Facebook because I'm like, I don't have a name for it. I'll just like put up a graphic and hope people get it kind of thing. you know? So I named it The Search when I first started working on it. And then I'm like, well, it's The Search for Truth. Then I'm like, well, it's The Search for Meaning. But I'm just going to go back to it's The Search. We all are searching for something. And I think the wise men represent the search that this world has for meaning and for truth, and for a divinity to worship. I believe that we were built with that kind of hunger and thirst inside of us. And the wise men represent the lost and pagan world that is searching for Jesus. I think that's what we need to get out of this. And you know, one thing I want to bring out right now, you guys, there's no longer, sometimes we think that there's the sacred and the secular. I need you to get that out of your head. There is no longer a division between sacred and secular. That was done away at the cross. Remember when the, um, the veil was torn? That was so that we could approach God. And that, that he was coming with a kingdom to redeem all of creation. And there was no longer going to be a clean and an unclean, a Jewish and a Gentile. We were all going to come together as the kingdoms of God. Remember when Peter was preaching or um, was supposed to go to, I think it was visit a centurion, and um, he's like, I don't know if I should go because he's Gentile, and Jews don't associate with Gentiles because they're unclean and blah, blah, blah. And he had this, he had this dream where um, there was a sheet, and it was lowered down from heaven, and all these clean and unclean animals were on the sheet. And the, the I don't know if it was an angel or the voice said, Get up and eat. You can eat all of us. Nothing is unclean anymore. It's all clean. And so I think one thing that we tend to, um, maybe as Christians, we tend to look at them and us. That's them over there who vote differently than us, that have a different form of gender than us, or whatever kind of gender, um, they are radicals, they're environmentalists, they're whatever. And we're like, yeah, they're secular and we're just going to leave them alone. We're just going to not have anything to do with them. We need to kind of come out and be separate and be pure and, and blah, blah, blah. I don't, think that's what, I don't think that's what we're called to do at all. I don't think that's God's heart at all. I think the picture of the wise men is that God is doing every single thing he can do to draw all men to himself. He's like, I'll use every single thing at my disposal, whether it's, it's astrology, whatever it is. Because the wise men were probably astrologists, just so you know. Soothsayers, fortune tellers. They were pagan through and through. They're not even called the wise men in Matthew. They're called the magi. What is the, um, what's magi the root of? Magic or magician. What? Is that crazy? You know, my, um, my mom came to visit us for Christmas, and we love having my mom. She went with us to see the green book. Um, and so, you know, we were having a conversation, as we do, about a lot of controversial things when she comes, because that's my mom. And, um, and it's fun. And we were talking kind of about a controversial thing, and my son Christian said, well, what if Jesus did it? Would it be okay then? And so my mom answered this very cryptic response. She said, well, Jesus, you wore sandals, you know. And we're like, hmm, how do we get from one to the other? Like, what does that mean, you know? So she went on to explain that when she was younger, and my my mom was raised in a super legalistic um, community, kind of this like holiness thing where you couldn't like watch TV or movies or... Just that weird stuff, you know. So there was this movement, apparently, I didn't even look it up, I just believe her because she told it to me, where you couldn't wear sandals because it was somehow immodest to show your feet or unholy or something like that. So one lady who was a proponent of this was told, well, Jesus wore sandals. And the lady said, yes, and I looked down on him for it. That's what she said. And so we all laughed at that. And I know, right? <laughs> and my point is, that we have got to stop looking at people's behavior as being um, unclean, not their behavior. Excuse, excuse me, the people. The sin is still sin. Don't get me wrong; sin is still sin. But we've got to look at the people and say, "Jesus came for you. I don't care, you know, what's going on in your life. God is drawing you to Himself." We've got to take on that kind of an attitude because God's done it throughout the Bible you know? You know, people who meet Jesus kind of fall into, into two categories. Those who Christ surprises in a day and they have an immediate transformation. And a picture of this is kind of like the shepherds. They were out um, at night, the angels came and announced something, and immediately they went and worshiped Jesus. It was an immediate thing. Some people have a transformation that's immediate. They know one day they weren't believers, the next day they were. There are a lot of other people who are a process believer. They're searching. They might search for years and years and years before they come to the truth, before they come to Jesus. The wise men represent those people. The wise men are the pagan and the lost of this world who are seeking God. They're seeking him with all their heart, and God is like, come to me. I've got it right here. And they they search, They might search for years, but they are they are searching for something to worship. They're searching for meaning, right? They've been spiritually hungry from birth, scouring everything for truth. The thing about the wise men is they eagerly, eagerly searched for Christ. You know, a couple things about the wise men. They're mentioned only in Matthew. Contrary to popular belief, they didn't arrive at Jesus' birth. They arrived about a year later, a year or more later, because we know Herod tried to kill little boys two years and younger, right? They were either priestly or a royal lineage or both. We know that they traveled hundreds of miles with an elaborate entourage. They were either Persian or from India or from Arabia. That was a long, long way away. They were thoroughly, completely, top to bottom, Pouring out of their pores, pagan. It says in Matthew 2, 1 through 2, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. They came to worship him. You know, some people think that they might have had some familiarity with Daniel when, because Daniel was over in um, Persia and he had written all these things about the Anointed One, and maybe they had some information. But they didn't come just to find a king; they found a king. They wanted to come to find a king to worship. They were on a mission to find the meaning of their life. They had been doing this for years and years and years, scouring all of the of the books and scrolls that they had, and they put all of their money into this travel, following a star and saying, we're here for the king, the Messiah, that we can worship. You know, I think the people least in possession of truth are most passionately in pursuit of it. How many people we, do we know in, in our culture today, especially, um, think of some of the, really genius people of our culture that are searching for meaning. Can you think of anybody? I think of people like Elon Musk, who's a genius, completely lost. Steve Jobs, he changed the world. Probably completely lost when he died. I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. Yeah, did you say Stephen Hawking? That's what I thought of too. He searched for meaning. He wrote the book, the meaning of, was it the meaning of the universe? Something like that. Probably was an atheist when he died. I don't know how many atheists are really atheists when they die. You know what I mean? Because when you get there, I feel like you've got to come to your senses. But he was a genius looking for meaning in all the wrong places. And you know who I think we tend to um, stigmatize the millennials of our day? I think as being <sighs> snowflakes and... Um, they're entitled. And they can't anything, get anything done. But I want to tell you, the millennials are passionate about finding meaning and truth. They're passionate. That's why they're eating organic food all the time. And they care about where their money goes to. And they buy those vans. Or not vans. The um, what, Is it vans? Vans where you buy one pair and another pair goes overseas or whatever. Toms. Toms. Um, no, I'm serious, but they're the ones setting up all these social justice kind of companies because they're like, we're not going to do life like our parents did it. We're not going to do life and just, you know, make money and, do the, and, and worship the almighty dollar. We're here for a reason and a purpose, and I think it would do us well as older people, not very old, but older people to respect and honor that because that's actually a God-given identity inside of them. You know, the fact that they care about the environment so much may irritate us, but you know what? That's God-given inside of them. One of our very first commandments, our very first directives is to be good stewards of the earth. You know, they're doing that. They might not be doing it for the right reason. They might worship the creation and not the creator, but they're still doing something that God's implanted inside of them. There's still a search for meaning and not, they don't want to just waste their days away and die and not have their lives meant anything. Does that make sense? Um, have you guys ever heard of charity water? Okay, I posted, does anyone ever read my stuff on Facebook or not? Okay, all right, that's all right. That's okay. Chip, Do you read my stuff on Facebook? Okay. <laughs> Scott Harrison, he's the father of, the father, the founder of charity water. He's a really good example of who I'm talking about. He was um, raised in a Christian home, a non-denominational Christian home, in Philadelphia. And his mom contracted a um, um, disease of the autoimmune disease. And um, when he was 18, he, did, he rebelled and went to New York City and became a, um, a promoter for nightclubs. And for 10 years, for 10 years, he was addicted to everything. He was addicted to um, he, an alcoholic. He did every drug except heroin, pornography. Um, what other things are there besides that? There's, a, you know, he was messed up. In fact, he was. In fact, he was so. He was such a popular um, nightclub promoter that Bacardi and Budweiser each paid him and his um, his partner to. to just drink their stuff publicly, $4,000 a piece, just to drink Budweiser and Bacardi publicly. They got paid to drink alcohol. That's who he was. When he was 18 years old, he left home, and for 10 years, this is what he did. And then one day he went to, um, they had this fantastic vacation planned, and he had a spiritual reawakening and moral and emotional reawakening him. And he came back to New York City when he was 28, and he had a big um, a big to-do and raised a lot of money and sent it over to a charity. And he said to himself, what can I do that's been opposite of my life? I've spent my life partying and drinking and smoking and doing all these horrible things. What can I do? I know I'll go work for a, a charitable organization. And he applied to every single, like, World Vision and UNICEF and what up compassion, all those kinds of things, and nobody would take him because he had been a, he had been a nightclub promoter. They're like, yeah, we don't have space for you in my, in our whatever. Except for one, one nonprofit said, well, we'll take you, but you have to pay five hundred dollars a month to be on our staff, kind of thing. And um, he says, well, what can be more opposite than taking money? I have to pay money to go serve people. He goes, this works out great. And so he went and he became a photojournalist in Liberia during the, during the war for a organization called Mercy Ships. Have you guys ever heard of that? OK. So it's a ship that basically goes around different ports of the world and will do like, um, this one did facial reconstruction on people. And so they were in Liberia, and he was taking photo shoots of those. And he said, people, we have 5,000 people come. We advertised it all over town when we were going to have our little clinic, 5,000 people showed up. People had walked, some people had walked for a month to get there. We had to turn 3,000 away. Only 2,000 were able to be helped that particular time. But what it did was it changed his heart for the world. It eventually changed his heart for the world. And so after he was done with his stint being a photojournalist in Liberia, he said, what can I do to prevent all, a lot of these things from happening instead of fixing them after the fact. And he realized that so many people didn't have clean water. One in 10 people in the world don't have clean water. In fact, are drinking water like, um, like out of a mud puddle or out of the river. Areas we wouldn't even let our animals drink out of. People are drinking out of. So he started an organization called CharityWater.org. It's not a Christian organization. It's a secular organization. I think he's probably comes at it from a faith basis. I don't know. He never talks about his faith. There's no Christian testimony in his, um, his story. But he talks about how he was moved to change the world. Because you know what? He decided that the life he was living from 18 to 28 was meaningless. And had, had nothing for him. And I guess my... <laughs> My thing to you is as we think about the year 2019, we can either cling to the past, the way things have been done before, in what's called a modern world. We now live in a postmodern world. Do you guys know what that means? Uh, can I give you a lesson? Is that okay? Okay. So we live in what's called a postmodern world. Those three different eras one is pre modern, modern, and postmodern. Pre-modern is when the church and the Bible held authority. You measured things by what the Bible said and by what God said. Then came the modern um, era, and that became scientific. um, What does science say is real? Now we're in a postmodern era, which means truth is relative. It's what it means to you, and what it means to you, and what it means to you. Now, I don't agree with that, but I'm telling you that's what our kids live in that's what the world lives in is a postmodern mentality but the reality is it doesn't really work for them in the end because they're still looking for meaning they're still looking for somebody to worship and they're still looking for passion something to be passionate about and as we go forward in 2019 as I was thinking about this I'm like you know what we've got to figure out a way not only to adopt that but also to extend that the world around us and to show them what true meaning really is because i think we can learn something from that the other thing i want to talk about is you know god's greatest passion is to reveal his glory to the nations revelation 7 9 says after this i looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation tribe people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This tells me that every nation is going to be in heaven. Every nation. There's not one nation, there's not one people group that God doesn't have a heart for and didn't die for and isn't drawing to himself one way or the other. And the wise men represent that because they were completely pagan. Completely pagan. And I think we need to remember... He wants to use us to draw these hungry people to him. And we've got to find out what's going on with them. What, what kind of, inst- instead of having a problem with our millennials, maybe we need to respect and honor them and say, you know what, you're on the right track. How do I show you where true meaning really is? How do we become wise as serpents, gentle as doves, and draw these people to the Lord and say, how do, how do we represent who you're really trying to worship. Instead of having an attitude of man, you know what, they're messed up. They're snowflakes. They don't know what they're doing. They're so entitled. The world is lost. It's going to hell in a handbag. I'll tell you what my mom told me, because this is so funny. This is what we we're having an argument about. Not an argument, a discussion. It was after um it was after the election. And I called her and I said, How are you doing, Mom? She goes, Well, I guess you've heard. I said, "What, mom?" She goes, "Well, marijuana. Marijuana is legal in Michigan now." I'm like, "Oh, mom, you're just gonna have to get over that, you know." So that's what our conversation was at Christmas was. We were talking about marijuana and the legality of it, and that's where the whole Jesus wore sandals thing came up. So try to put marijuana and Jesus put sandals together in one conversation. You can see how hard that is, you know. What'd you say? Right? I know. But. Um, but instead of looking at the lost and dying world and saying, man, I can't wait till Jesus comes again so that we can get away from this craziness, maybe we need to be like, hey, what do they, ha- what do they bring to the table that's from the Lord? What kind of passion do they bring to the table that's from the Lord? What kind of, what kind of um, sacrifice are they making to do what's right? I mean, some of that stuff the millennials do like for organic food and I don't want to do all that. Like, I don't want to pay all that money for super good food and go to Whole Foods, whole paycheck. But you know what? They're willing to do it because they believe in what they're doing. They believe in what they're doing. Look at this guy. This guy who started um, Charity Water, he's 42 years old. He's been uh, 12 years into this charity now. 12 years he's been doing this. He's changed the world, guys. Do you know that 3,635 people get new water every day because of him? Every day. Over 3,000 people have clean water every day because of what he started. And listen, imagine if he was preaching the gospel at the same time. Imagine what would happen if he was preaching the gospel at the same time. We need to look at the passion of the millennials and the drive and everything they have, and we need to embrace it in some fashion and say, hey, we validate you. We get where you're coming from. Let me tell you what your true passion is all about. The other thing is, we have to look at ourselves and we have to decide, are we somehow being like Herod in this story? Do you remember how Herod was in the story? The the, uh, Magi first came to him and they said, hey, you're king here. You probably know what's going on. Where is the baby that's going to be born? And he's like, oh, baby that's going to be born? Well, you know what? Why don't you go search for him and let me know so I can go worship him too? We all know that was a ruse, right? He was threatened by Jesus. He had a hunger in his heart for Christ, but not for worship. He wanted to size up his rival and deal with him. You know, sometimes we're just like Herod a little bit too. We don't really want to worship Jesus. We want to size him up and know how he's going to affect our lifestyle because we want to rule our own lives we don't really want to submit to Jesus. And I think the other question I have for you tonight is how do we become like the wise men and sacrificially search for him and offer our best gifts. Offer our best gifts. So I'm going to end with this. Who are you looking for for truth? Are you looking for yourself? Are you looking for God? Are you looking for the culture or for tradition? What's your source of truth? What are you worshiping? What are you worshiping today? Are you worshiping Jesus, God, or something else? And what gifts are you bringing? You know, we don't often talk about um, living sacrificially because it's not cool. You know, it doesn't jive with grace sometimes. But you know what? The wise men gave precious gifts to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That was huge back then. It probably financed Mary and Joseph for many years. Those, that was a treasure. And so my question to you as we go into 2019 is, where are you getting truth? What are you worshiping? And what gifts are you bringing? How are you exercising the gifts? I look at this guy who did charity water. And like, he's exercising his gift. He was a nightclub promoter who's turned into a, I want to get water for every single person in this world promoter. The gifts that God had given him, he's turned right over and he's using them for something good. What gifts do you guys have? Every single person here has a gift. What gifts do you guys have that you're bringing and you're laying down at Jesus and say, how do I serve you? How do I give you back my treasure? That might be a resolution just to think about for the upcoming year i know we're not making resolutions because we don't do that (laughs) but we can say how do we need to be more like the wise men how do we need to be wise and look for the real source of truth in our life real source of meaning and offer the very best of ourselves so let's pray lord i thank you thank you that we have a delicious dinner ready to eat Thank you, Lord, that you've given us so many streams of people that we get to interact with, old and young, and every one of us has the divine spark inside of us. Every single person is created for meaning, is created to worship, and created for destiny. God, I pray that you would release destiny over every single person in this room. They would walk forward in 2019 recognizing their gifts, sacrificing their gifts, presenting them to you, and absolutely walking forward in their destiny, Lord.